Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of the podcast. My name is Warren and I will be your host today for this conversation with Tim Etherington Judge, where we are going to dive into all things booze, mental health, sustainability, and building a better future. So that is quite a lot to get into one conversation. Um, but uh, I think you will really enjoy this one. I sincerely hope you do. Uh, because around the world of alcohol, health, and performance, uh, we clearly know that alcohol is not a performance-enhancing drug, but it is something that most of us enjoy, and there is or can be a place for it within a, a healthy lifestyle. But how do you go about navigating that? So many questions about, you know, could I drink this? When should I drink? Uh, should I like stop drinking altogether? These are all things that around alcohol are well worth investigating. And as Tim has a, a long uh, and involved history in the drinks industry, which has had its ups as well as its downs, um, uh, you know, it took him to very, a complete mental breakdown which is where he then came back and started working on an initiative for uh, better mental health awareness and better overall holistic health for people within the, the drink and hospitality industry. So he knows the good as well as the bad of alcohol, but he also knows very much what's in it and how it's all made, which is why on another side, it's led him to produce a, a natural spirit brand around Calvados uh, coming from apples that he's working on. And just within this space, how do we balance uh, social health, mental health, planet health, and enjoyment with a couple of drinks every now and again if we fancy them, alongside our training and our physical health and our physical performance. So all of these things and more, uh, uh, what, what, what a lie ahead in store for, uh, for you in this conversation. And where, where Tim scores so high is he's just very thoughtful about these things, very knowledgeable, very thoughtful. It's always a real pleasure to catch up with him. Uh, as I mentioned at the end of our call, it's only uh, only a shame that we did it early in the morning so we couldn't enjoy uh, a drink of one description or another while we were doing it. So look, um, as ever, this show is brought to you by 33 Fuel, purveyors of the finest natural sports nutrition you will find anywhere, plant-based and planet-based for a fitter you and a fitter future because uh, related to our conversation coming up genuinely you cannot there's no point in uh, in building fitter versions of ourselves if we're not also looking after a fitter planet that is another thing that needs addressing so 33 fuel have all of those things covered you can find them at 33fuel.com do go and enjoy that uh, after this podcast with tim etherington judge tim thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It is lovely to see you uh, out there in the countryside in your shed. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. It's always nice to uh, have a bit of a morning distraction from the chores of my shed. Well, and anything I can do to help, you know. <laughs> yeah, this would be great. It's, uh, it's always nice to see your face, Warren. No, you too, because uh, obviously you're not, uh, not around uh, London quite as much as you used to be, but... Um, I think you've made a wise move right now getting out to the country. Yeah, it was um, it was a decision that was taken back in the first lockdown. Uh, I, I got COVID at the very beginning. I could say I was an early adopter. <laughs> um, so back in, back in March 2020, um, got it pretty bad, which was 
it was I found it really, really difficult because I'd gone from somebody, you know, and we've known each other for a while, somebody that would run marathons for fun, you know, and was super, super fit. And I've done a little bit of endurance um, challenges. And so, you know, I'm used to pushing through the pain barrier and, and you know, running through injuries and, and stuff like that. But when COVID struck and it attacked my lungs and I went from being able to, to get up and run a marathon on any given day to barely being able to make it from my bed to the toilet. Um, and even that kind of, that trip of a few meters would take about half an hour, the round wow. trip because of the, the coughing uh, was so bad as the attack on my lungs. Um, it was pretty frightening to be honest, to go from, from a level of such fitness to barely being able to even move around my apartment. Um, now that's that's huge and the i mean i i, I knew you you'd had a, a big hit with it i didn't realize it was quite that serious how was the uh how was the recovery process are you are you feeling like you're back to where you were now or you could be or is there any lingering effects uh i think i'm i don't think i have any lingering effects i don't think i have the the, the symptoms of long covid um i'm definitely not at the same level of, of fitness as I was. Um, and it took a long time to kind of recover. So once I had kind of got over, you know, managed to get myself out of bed, it was a long and slow process of just increasing um, and treating my lungs really, really carefully. So it was like, right now I can move around the apartment. Okay. Um, let's see if I can walk to the end of the street and back. And then once I could manage that, it would be right. Let's see if I can walk around the block. Um, I do remember at one point I, I had the bike set up in the front room. So I jumped on the bike and I was like, right, I'm going to do 15 minutes on Zwift. I was like, just, just turning circles, like no exertion, no effort whatsoever. I just, just want to turn some circles on the bike because you know, I hadn't ridden the bike for ages. And 15 minutes on the bike left me like lying on the floor, coughing for about half an hour. Wow. Like, that's probably wasn't very smart. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think you have to, you only find the barriers by pushing up against them. So it, I, I think not smart is doing that and then doing it again the next day. <laughs> it's yeah, like that, yeah. You know, it, it's a build up process, isn't it? Yeah. I think you're right. And I'm not the most patient person, particularly when it comes to injuries. Um, so when I fractured my fractured my shin attempting to run 42 consecutive marathons, I think I, I think I wore the boot that I was supposed to wear for six weeks for about three days. And then I was like, I just I can't be bothered with this anymore. Um, and I was back running within a couple of weeks. So. Nice. That was the that was the forty two marathons in forty two days for your forty second year on the planet. Yes. Yes. Correct. Correct. Nice. Nice. Okay. Also so the, coinciding with my favourite book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Ah, I hadn't realised that connection was in there. Because mm. we all know that forty two is the answer to life, the universe, and everything. <laughs> uh, mine passed me by. I should have marked it more closely. I was obviously not paying attention yeah. that year. <laughs> So the, I mean, this uh, one question that, that sort of springs out, I mean, we're, we're going to look at uh, a, a variety, a cocktail of things, fittingly, 
um, being uh, alcoholic, also being um, mental health. Uh, and mm -hmm. uh, I thought we'd have uh, opened on the, uh, the drinking side of things. But in fact, uh, I think the mental health is probably a better place sure. to start just because obviously in your own journey through uh, working very intensively in the drinks industry, which ultimately, uh, you know, you had your breakdown and then you had to rebuild yourself from that. And that was what led to your sort of increased mental health advocacy mm -hmm. with all the work you're doing with Healthy Hospo, which we can talk about. But I'm just wondering in that COVID moment, there's the physical rebuild. Um, and, and it sounds like you're able to really use lessons from both your business past, uh, present, and also your, your endurance sport background. Like no one sets out to run a hundred miles or, you know, cycle however many hundred miles. You're doing them one mile at a time. You know, you can't look at the whole thing. You need to break it down. So yeah. you're trying to get from bed to bathroom. You're trying to get from front door to the end of the street and just stretching it. But what was the mental journey like in there? Uh, and how did you, how were you aware of it? Did you need to manage it? Where, where did that factor in? Because that's something that I think will have hit a lot of people in the last 18 months. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think that the first stage of it was because I contracted COVID right at the beginning. So it was before lockdowns and, and before any of this kind of isolation and quarantine. The, the mental side of it, initially it's frustration. Um, a little bit of fear, you know, for me, particularly because I'd gone from being super fit to not being able to do anything. <clears throat> um, and when you can't breathe properly, um, you know, it, it's quite scary because, you know, I'm used to, as I said, pushing through kind of injuries and all sorts of other pain barriers, but an attack on the lungs is something that is absolutely debilitating you know at the same time the news is all ramping up about how this deadly disease was killing people around the world and then here i was with it so there was definitely an element of fear um and then kind of once the worst of the the symptoms subsided there's the frustration of <clears throat> not being able to do anything of having to rely on other people for everything so you know, it was like I was having to have people cook food for me and have that delivered and I couldn't get around, even around the flat. Um, but then once that had passed, then it was just a determination to get better. Um, so I think like for me, getting COVID was the easy part. What's been far more difficult is this past kind of 16 to 18 months where we... Ha the, the entire narrative of the world has been filling us with fear it's been extremely negative you know and we've gone as a as a global population into a, a period of trying to to avoid death at all costs and sacrifice life which kind of may be a weird way to to put it but what I mean is that, you know, we've been asked to to distance ourselves from each other, to quarantine, to isolate, to remove from our lives one of the absolutely core aspects of human health, which is human connection. You know, nature has or evolution has taken a, a massive bet on our ability as a social species. I think far more than any other of our skills as a species, our ability to 
form complex social structures to work for each other to build complex civilizations is what has led to our success um you know it's not the fact that we've domesticated fire or that we have opposable thumbs it's the fact that we can all come together for the greater good of the species to evolve um and yet during this past 18 months we have put that core pillar of human health um and turned it into a complete negative you know now people are afraid of of human contact they're afraid of being in public spaces with other people there we've turned human connection into a bad thing when it's actually something that every single one of us fundamentally need um, it's it's no coincidence that the harshest punishment that we inflict on a human being with the exception of the death penalty is solitary confinement and yet for the past 18 months, we have asked a large number of the human population to enter almost voluntary solitary confinement. And that has an enormous impact on our mental health. And, and even as someone that, you know, has a, as a, a business that focuses on human health and, and mental health and being through my own breakdown and my own experiences and building my own strategies to manage it. You know, I've struggled with it as well. You know, there have been periods during the past 18 months where I have found it extremely difficult to, to move on through life. And a big part of that is not because I couldn't exercise, not because I'm not getting great sleep, not because I'm not eating well, but it's because of that lack of human connection. It's a huge, it's been a huge change and it's almost uh, scary how quickly it sort of becomes normal um the most obvious example i see living in central london is walking down the street and now everyone has this automatic pattern of just walking around people yeah. nobody gets near anybody even on a crowded street um and i can't wait for that to be unlearned um but also you're very right there about the the fear narrative in the media, uh, it's, I, I've never, and you know, my, my former career was as a, as a journalist writing for all of the main papers as a freelancer. Um, I've never seen our media so unanimously one-sided on one side of uh, an approach. Uh, and the, the fear is, fear has always sold newspapers. That is not new. Mm, it's not yeah, new to the internet. Yeah. It's not new to social media. You go back 100 years, 200 years. It's always been there but I've never seen it turned up this far. And I, I've just used content blockers. I use an app called Freedom. Literally none of my devices or the devices in my home or that Erica and I share, none of them will connect to any news website apart from for half an hour on a Wednesday. Okay. Um, yeah, that's very similar. Um, I, know I haven't gone quite as far as you, but I have completely disconnected from any form of news whether it be left wing, right wing, center, whatever it is, I don't want it in my life because it's only one single narrative, which is complete fear. It's not like disconnecting from that stuff doesn't mean you don't connect with what you're interested in or absolutely, you don't absolutely. connect with your social circle or that if things are important, they don't find you because people will tell you about it if it's relevant to you. Um, but it, yeah, it's about choosing what you see and the the scatter or the, sort of the shotgun approach of the news is 
99% of it is always irrelevant. And the 1% that does have to happen to be relevant, if you miss it, someone somewhere along the line, it will pick you up. Yeah. Sorry, you, you were saying about your experience. Yeah, I, I just, for me, it's exactly what you said. You know, it's, I choose now where I, where I want to gather my information from and what I want it to be about. And it's always kind of either work-related stuff that I need or things that I'm interested in. So like, I will <clears throat> watch news about cycling. So you know, I love cycling. So I want to know what's going on in the races and, and how things are going. So, you know, I'll follow news there. I'll look at um, news about the environment and sustainable issues. But when it comes to kind of the mainstream news sources, like I don't want a daily update on the number of cases that of, of coronavirus. I mean, for our 24 seven news cycle, this is a wet dream absolute wet dream because they have constantly got some sort of little tiny piece of information that they can update you with um and it's all just fear you know if you look at the numbers of people who are dying now from this disease it's so minimal and the risk of anyone particularly in our age bracket dying is is so minimal you know i'm probably more likely to die walking to the supermarket at the end of the road Statistically, yeah, you're have... probably much more likely to die in your kitchen. Yeah. I think it's the, that's yeah. the most dangerous room in the house, isn't it? Yeah, probably. Uh, <laughs> definitely, definitely in my house because I'm so clumsy. Um, <laughs> you know, but I've seen so many of my friends lose their businesses, <clears throat> their livelihoods <clears throat> put under, uh, you know, under enormous stress because of this. You know, with Healthy Hospital, we work with uh, a mental health expert. And more than once he's called me in the morning and said, I've been up all night with somebody who's been trying to commit suicide because they've just lost their business and they've had to lay off all their staff. And, and just, just to give people a little context here. Um, so Healthy Hospo is the foundation, the charity, the body that you set up to push mental health, positive mental health initiatives in the hospitality industry, i.e. restaurants, bars, pubs, and nightclubs, which is your own background. And that's the industry that's taken the biggest hit from, yes, from COVID, yes. right? So, I mean, yeah, these people that you're talking about who've lost their jobs that, you know, I mean, these, these are industry friends. These are people who are running pubs. These are people who are running restaurants, hospitality, whatever it may be. Is, is that right? So that's a disproportionately hard hit group and still is. Ah, absolutely absolutely yeah so healthy hospital so we, it's, we don't just look at mental health we look we take a very holistic view of health um so we talk about sleep nutrition exercise um, human connection financial health because it, it's all interconnected right? you know if you're not sleeping properly your your mental health is not going to be great you're not eating properly because your butt gyme has a direct link to your brain you know so you know we always say that exercise is as good for the mind as it is for the body so we, we do take a very holistic picture, but you're absolutely right in saying that hospitality, include, if you include travel and tourism within that, um, has taken the hardest hit when it comes to, to the Im business impacts from, from COVID. It's the only industry that was forcibly closed for the longest period of time. The governments around the world have constantly set kind of shifting goalposts. We've just seen it again last week um, in the UK. You know, pushing the, the easing of restrictions back another four weeks, which is going to cost the industry hundreds of millions, if not billions of pounds um, at a time 
when it's already going, been through the ringer, both from COVID, but also from Brexit, um, we are seeing the hospitality industry being absolutely decimated. Yet at the same time, if you look at a number of, of polls that were done as you we were kind of coming out or getting close to coming out of, of lockdown, asking people, what are they most looking forward to when lockdown ends? After friend, seeing friends and family, the number one response was going to bars and restaurants. So COVID has shown us that hospitality is absolutely fundamental to a thriving, enjoyable human society and you know, our community. It, you know, bars and restaurants are not places where we go and get food and drink. Those are called supermarkets or shops. Pubs and you know, bars, pubs, restaurants, cafes are places where we go to interact and engage in human connection. And that's why they're so fundamentally important to human societies. If you watch, say, EastEnders, what is the, you know, it's based in Albert Square, but what is the central most used single location in that TV show? I haven't watched EastEnders for a while, but unless the world has utterly turned on its head since I last saw it, it's the <laughs> Queen Vic pub. Exactly. Right. It's the pub, right? Um same in Coronation Street, isn't it? The Rovers return. I don't right. watch TV, but, but I know the, the, it's that central point where communities come together to meet. And, you know, having, having a drink can help eat, you know, lubricate the, the social interactions. So everyone's a bit more relaxed. Um, and that's why they've been at the core and the center of, of our towns, cities and, and villages for as long as there's been towns, uh, cities and villages. Um, but yet the industry has been absolutely decimated. You know, in and the they... time that I like to call BC, so before COVID, um, things were not great in the industry anyway. You know, it's an industry that is addicted to zero hours contracts, um, treats the minimum, minimum wage as maximum wage, um, has the highest rates of, of drug abuse of any industry in the world. It's the lowest paid industrial sector. It's got the third highest rates of alcohol abuse, um, some, the highest rates of sexual abuse. Yeah. So there's a lot of issues in the industry. And now we're adding on top of that um, a staffing crisis caused by COVID and Brexit. We're adding on top of that you know, frontline hospitality workers who are getting paid minimum wage at best having to deal with people's COVID anxiety and, and kind of the COVID rage from anti-vaxxers and anti-maskers. You think that, that they have a right to, to scream and shout at people who ask them to wear a mask when they go to a venue. The staffing crisis is causing um, all sorts of problems because every, almost every venue is understaffed. So staff are overworked um, or they can't even reopen. Um, so there are so many continuing issues um, and yet the government kind of shifting the goalposts yet again is, is just causing even more pain to the industry and, and it seems behind all that and partly this is because you're right that the whether it's the pub the bar the restaurant the cafe whatever you want to call it and whatever form it takes has been at the heart of our town cities and villages for so long they're still so resilient. I mean, the 
there are closures, there are issues. I, I have uh, several friends who run hospitality venues and they've said that the, the ability to have people back in any shape or form, whether it's inside, you know, a small numbers inside or table service only, whatever the rules have been, they said that even that's only been an opportunity to lose less money than they've been losing yeah. throughout. Um, and yet, despite all this, it still seems like the, and you're right about those frontline workers who are probably as freaked out by COVID potentially as anyone else on a random scale of the population who are going to have to be in those places and do that and deal with it as well. But behind all this, do you think that, you know, it's clearly going, the industry's clearly going to survive as a whole, but a huge, I don't know how many people are going to survive in it. You know, individual businesses are popping, you know, they must be popping by the truckload on a daily basis. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, we, we will lose, I would estimate maybe another, another 20% of hospitality businesses will go under related to, I related to a number of issues, either to the staffing crisis, the fact that a lot of, a lot of people who are in the industry have walked away either you know that their their employer couldn't keep them on through furlough so they they left the business and they've decided that they want to go and pursue something else you know because hospitality is low paid it's low career um potential everything that's been through in covid there's no certainty so they're better off they can earn more money going and stacking shelves in tesco's or littles you know it's low lower stress it's it's more consistent it's got more reliability so why not go and do that and or they're the goalposts yeah. change you're not expecting yeah. the goalposts to change in another week yeah exactly exactly or they are overseas workers who um, went back home during the covid pandemic and then either they've chosen not to come back or because of brexit they can't come back because our government says that we only want high skilled workers um, in the uk so now there's an enormous um, staffing crisis, but the industry is, you know, is extremely resilient. Um, and I think that if you just looked at the lengths that pubs, bars, restaurants went to, to make sure that they were COVID safe, you know, I, if I go to my local supermarket, even in the stri strictest of lockdowns, all they did was put some stickers on the floor. To tell people which way to to walk. Well, yeah. they had they had a pass. I mean, uh, yeah, and that that's a whole separate debate. But the essential businesses were allowed to open, and uh, therefore little changed for them. But yeah, what is the difference between a crowd in the supermarket and a crowd in a bar? Yeah, exactly. Yep. If you go to a bar, they will have you know um, sanitizers on every table. All the everyone will be masked up they will have protective screens in place they will have social distancing in place they will have all sorts of, of kind of protective measures to make sure that nobody um, or that people are at the least risk possible yet hospitality workers are at a high at, you know at risk of contracting covid far more because you and i may see you know a f may interact with a few people every day you know Yet, if you are working in a busy bar, pub, restaurant, you are interacting with hundreds of people every day. 
So therefore, your chance of encountering someone that is uh, symptomatic or asymptomatic carrying the virus is far higher. But you know, what? I'm sick and tired of talking about COVID because all we've talked about for the past 18 months. I think I think the um, the, the simple message for for anyone that, that I, I'd love to take out of this is that if you are comfortable within your own personal boundaries, wherever they may sit right now, and that's a completely individual chance for everybody, um, you know, then do take that step. Go and buy a drink. Go and buy a meal. Um, yeah, absolutely. The, you know, go go and go and put some money back into that part of the economy if you're fortunate enough to be someone who's who's been able to come through this and still have some disposable income. So, um, yeah, okay. So the, the um, I'm, I'm, I'd just like to add. I'd just like to add one thing to that because you're completely right. Go and spend your money in in hospitality and help protect the an industry that's so important to our society. But also, when you go out, go out with compassion and love for those people working in those those venues because they are really really struggling right now and just go out be nice to them show a little bit of compassion because it will go an extremely long way to making their jobs a little bit better no that's that's a great addition great addition so the the, the thing that the sort of the root thing that brought us together in this obviously the, the healthy hospital the mental health side of it is is key <laughs> um but at the root of that, we were we were looking at all things alcohol because so it can be a polarizing subject, particularly when people are looking to improve health, well-being, fitness. Mm-hmm. There's a big question mark over alcohol, like what about alcohol and training? What about this? What about that? And I think on any scientific measure, it's pretty obvious. Alcohol does not make you faster, fitter or stronger in any shape or form. So if you're looking for something to improve your health and performance, then loads of alcohol isn't it, but it's not as simple as that. And as long as you are comfortable that you have a healthy relationship with alcohol, and I think if you just ask yourself that question, do I have a healthy relationship with alcohol? And you get a clear yes back, then you know the answer. If that answer is not clear to you, then perhaps that's something you need to look at. But that, mm-hmm. again, that's a separate part. You've got a healthy relationship with it. Um, I don't, there's not, I don't see any reason why it shouldn't be part of a healthy, enjoyable, normal life. And I wanted to talk with you about that because specifically with your Calvados business that you've started, mm-hmm. Avalen, not only are you looking at the environmental side of things, you're also looking at the quality of the actual drink itself. And that has always resonated with me very strongly because alcohol is one thing but a lot of drinks have a lot of other ingredients in them that you probably wouldn't want either so there's quite a lot to unpick there but if we just start with the uh the world of you know alcohol as a social lubricant and part of a healthy lifestyle um what are your thoughts on that and and how does your background in the industry maybe just give give us a little bit of your industry background there pre uh uh, before leaving to, to shine a light on starting to unpick that yeah, so, so a bit of background to me. So I've always worked in, in the hospitality and drinks industry. Now, I grew up in Cornwall, um, which has been in the news a lot lately. Um, but it's an area of, of, of high level of tourism. You know, the, the, the number one economy down here is tourism. So as you're growing up as a teenager, your first job is almost always in tourism. <clears throat> um, you know, so I, I started working in a little cafe and then I ended up working in a burger bar. So 
and just fell in love with the whole hospitality industry. So I've been in that industry my whole life and eventually kind of found my way behind the bar, making cocktails um, and realizing that that's actually now a, a very professional career that can take you around the world. Um, I ended up working for a drinks company um, as, as a global ambassador. So I was had a role where I would travel the world teaching people about whiskey, um, which everyone thought was the greatest job in the world. Um, but going out, you know, it's kind of like living a Friday night every night whilst flying around the world and having to have your day job. Um, so there's a lot of pressure and that's a, that kind of that job eventually uh, along with my, my lifelong struggle with my, with my mental health and depression is what led to my breakdown. Um, but I totally agree that alcohol can play a healthy role in both a functioning society, as we mentioned before, but also in, in a healthy and enjoyable life. Um, because life is not about the absence of death. Life is about the enjoyment of your time on the planet. You know, and one of the great things that alcohol has done throughout history is bring people together for enjoyable social occasions. You know, whether it's having a beer around a barbecue with your mates, whether it's sharing a glass of champagne or a bottle of champagne with some friends at a celebratory moment, whether it's having a relaxing kind of gin and tonic before a delicious meal um, you know there's always an occasion to bring people together to share that moment to share each other's company and just really really enjoy life um, and I think you know it can be a big part of sport as well you know it's if you look at the purely physiological impacts of alcohol on the body then as you said the, the findings are pretty fundamentally clear that alcohol does not have a positive impact upon um, upon the body, but what those studies don't really also look at is what does the impact have on on the mind and on your mental health, you know. And alcohol and sport have had a, a kind of re, a very interesting relationship throughout the years. You know, if you if we would if we dial back uh, the calendar, go back like a hundred years, alcohol was used as a performance enhancing drug which now it seems like completely, <laughs> completely bizarre and contrary to what we know, but it does work as a painkiller and that's how it was used. So, you know, if you go back and, and find stories of, of some of the old marathons in the Olympics, <clears throat> um, you know, people driving cars in front of the runners with, with bottles of brandy and they would hand out shots of brandy to the runners um, to act as a painkiller to kind of get them through you know old um, footage of the, the Tour de France and the Giro d'Italia where the riders who were far more who were very self-supported you know they didn't have the support cars and the enormous teams that they have today they're very much on their own you know they'd have to carry spare tubes and tools with them and fix their bikes on their own but they would stop at cafes and get bottles of wine and spirits and ciders and beers to work as a painkiller for them. Um, but I think today it's much more seen as a celebratory moment. Um, 
you know it's if you watch you know a lot of sport that you know most sports you have the bottle of champagne on on the podium you know you win spray some champagne maybe have a little swig it's that celebration moment that brings you great joy and great happiness um, which i think is a key part to any sport because as we know a lot of sport is about like suffering right you suffer through the the physical pain but you need some reward for that and that reward comes in that moment of joy of getting across the finishing line and so you know maybe having a beer when you cross the finishing line or cracking that bottle of champagne that's the reward for going through all of that pain um, of, of doing it you know and you see it in professional sports you know i, I love formula one um, and valtteri bottas the finnish driver whenever he wins a race his tradition is, is he has a bottle of beer when he wins a race it's a tradition you know it's it's for him it's that reward for for something for a job well done and i think that's really really important as well um same in the tour de france you know you'll see when a team wins a stage they will have their team dinner and when they've won a stage there will always be a bottle of champagne and they'll always have just maybe a sip maybe a full glass but it's that kind of camaraderie and that celebratory moment of, of achievement which i think is really really important and now a quick word for our sponsors. The most excellent, most wonderful, most natural 33 Fuel Natural Sports Nutrition. Just remember, when you're looking for the best possible nutrition products for your performance, your health, and your well-being, get yourselves over to 33fuel.com. The stuff doesn't cost any more than ordinary sports nutrition. The difference is it's made with transformatively better ingredients. You've got tastier results. You've got better results. You've got healthier. So look, get yourselves over to 33fuel.com and now let's get back to the show. That use of alcohol around those celebratory reward moments, that point of it being, I loved your point earlier that restaurants, bars, clubs, pubs are not places where we go to buy food and drink. That, that place is called a supermarket. Mm -hmm. It's where we go to connect. Um, and then the alcohol and the food is, is a part of that. Something I'd seen from that from my own journey, because certainly um, in my younger years, I did more than my share of uh, English-styled <laughs> binge drinking. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's a different life. But when fitness started to become a very serious thing for me again, uh, probably about 2007, I think, mm -hmm. then that forced me I, I realized very quickly you only have to look at your heart rate monitor you know I, I could go out on a Saturday and still my long runs on a Wednesday my heart rate was like 10% higher than it should have been for the effort um, and that was a clear point that if I wanted to succeed with the fitness goals I needed to cut out the drinking but as I did that I realized that a lot of my previous drinking was habitual um, yeah. It was triggered by an event, a wedding. Uh, well, the idea of going to a wedding and not drinking, it just was, I couldn't, couldn't fathom it. But this, this caused me to reevaluate that. And I broke the connection between the immediate, you know, the, the event of X has happened, therefore I'm going to have a drink because everyone else is. And once I broke that, that was the point where I started to ask, well, should I be drinking at all? But Going deeper into that, and I've spoken to a lot of people who found the same thing, I really enjoy a drink. 
It was just about being thoughtful about it. And I think what's really helped now is that you can, if you choose, the low and no alcohol options are so much broader. Because even in, we're not talking that long ago, 2007, 2008, it was literally a pint of soda water or nothing. Um, unless you want to drink Coke or orange juice all night. And frankly, I'm not 10 anymore. I didn't no. fancy doing that. No. Um, so that way, again, the, the alcohol can be part of it. The event can be part of it. The social can be part of it. It was just about being, being thoughtful about that. But the idea of removing alcohol completely just didn't, didn't work at all. I was very comfortable with where I was at with it and I enjoy it. Um, and you're right. Those moments when it is a reward, it's great. A beer after work or something yeah. like that is still a delight. And it's okay. I think like that beer after, after work, that has been very stressful. It's probably good for your health as well, you know, because it's that de-stressing, you know, maybe removing a bit of cortisol from the brain as you just unwind and relax. Um, and you, you're totally right about the no and low movement. I was gonna, I was gonna bring it up, but you beat me, beat me to the punch. Um, it's incredible now. You know, my favorite beer to drink now is Lucky Saint, which is a, a 0.5% ABV lager, so a no ABV lager, um, which is absolutely delicious. You know, it's a great tasting lager and ice cold, you know, out of the fridge. It's crisp. It's refreshing. It does everything that I want from a beer. It gives me that that moment. I can celebrate with friends. I can relax, have it around the barbecue, and yet it doesn't. You know, if I have five or six of them, or seven of them, because you know, for me it's not like if I have a beer, I'm going to nurse it all night and just have like little things. I want to keep drinking, you know, and I and I drink quite quickly. Um, so I want to maybe have six, seven, eight in a night. And with Lucky Saint, I can do that. Because there's not basically any no alcohol in it, was it? 0. Yes. 0.5, 0. 0.05%? Zero, yes, it's still classed as non-alcoholic. Um, and so that's fantastic, you know, and, and drinks like that. And the no and low movement has just exploded. So Ben Branson, who's a, a friend of mine, started Seedlip. And I and still that's... remember that the first time I met him um, and we, we were sitting in in the office and he had he had an idea and he had a product but he had no idea what to do with it or how he was going to sell it or even if it was going to be a thing and his original idea was that seed lip would be a drink that people would have in between alcoholic drinks so you'd have like maybe a cocktail or a gin and tonic or a beer and then you'd have a seed lip and then you'd have another alcohol drink and it would be like a spacer and for anyone who hasn't uh, come across Seedlip, um, obviously other brands are available, but they literally pioneered. It's effectively like a craft spirit or a craft white spirit. I mean, it sort of looks like a craft gin. It seems to mix in a similar way, but it's got absolutely no alcohol in it at all. Yep, absolutely. So it's got all the flavors of a, of a botanical spirit, um, but with it's been de-alcoholized. De so they've taken the alcohol out of it. Um, so yeah, so he thought it would be a spacer and it was his original idea. But what it's become is, you know, the, the brand that's launched a whole new category um, and made, made choosing not to have a drink uh, a brilliant decision. You know, because before, as you said, you know, it'd be like you'd have a, a Coke, which is not good for your health. 
um, a glass of orange juice, which has got loads of sugar in it and E numbers and all sorts of other crap, or it could be Billy No Mates and have a glass of water. Whilst everyone else is having fabulous champagne and cocktails, and, and they shoot with your glass of water. Um, well, it was, it was so now, conspicuous as well that, that yeah, exactly. like trying and in a culture, uh, and you know that again, another subject we could dive into forever. But in a culture where drinking is very normal and accepted, and a, a bit like saying I don't eat meat or I'm you know I'm plant based or whatever, people look at you sometimes like you've got two heads. Less now than they used to. Um, yep. being in a pub with a load of people, especially after they've had a few drinks and you're saying you're not, you know, it's very obvious when you're holding a pint of soda water that it's not yep. a gin and tonic or it's not a beer. And uh, I think there is a herd mentality, particularly among guys uh, around yep. drinking. It still exists, certainly in the UK and in Northern Europe. And a no and low can often remove that question mark altogether because it still looks like a beer or whatever and actually no one's going to ask that question which sounds ridiculous that such sort of peer pressure should exist among adults but it's just a little shade and you'd be amazed what a sort of barrier it can become to some people to just actually having the beer that they didn't really want to have yeah absolutely absolutely and i think the, the other key difference now is that they taste delicious you know, we've had non-alcoholic beer for a while, quite some time. You know, we had things like Caliber. Barbican. Um, Barbican, yeah. Sean, I mean, Bean's big, Sean Bean's big break, that wasn't it, the Barbican? Really? Yeah, that was his first oh, yeah. TV appearance. Oh, wow. wow. He was the hero who saved the day. I think it was Barbican, might have been Caliber. Anyway, sorry, even, carry on. Even before, uh, even before his Sharp days. Uh, oh, well, well, well before Sharp. Well before Sharp. For anyone who wants it, we'll put that in as a bit of fun in the show notes. Sean okay. Bean's... Um, first appearance in an low alcohol <laughs> beer ad in about 1991 <laughs> um but you know and it was disgusting so it was like oh i'm gonna have to take the i pulled the shit straw and i'm gonna have to drink something that just tastes like like pond water yeah um but now they taste delicious you know and i had i had a it really hit home to me i had a moment um when i was living in london and I had some friends come over from new york and you do the, the thing, you know, I work in the drinks industry. So it's like, right, we're going to go out and visit some of the, <clears throat> the cocktail bars because London is one of the world's great cities to go drinking in. Um, so we'd gone out and we'd hit a few, hit a few bars and had a, maybe three or four cocktails. And we'd ended up at one of my favorite bars, which is um, called Lioness. So on the banks of the Thames, incredible mm. cocktails, super sustainable. Um, one of the world's great bars. Yeah. And in their menu, they have, uh, in their cocktail menu, they have a non-alcoholic section. Yeah. So we had arrived there and they wanted to carry on drinking. You know, they were on holiday. So for them, you know, it was a, a fun time. I had a, a big day of work coming the following day. I was like, I don't want to have any more. So just a bird just flew into the window. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> the joys of living in the, living in the countryside. That, that doesn't happen very often here. I might get a crash at the junction outside, but not, not a bird <laughs> flying into the window. Yeah, just a little sparrow. Um, yeah, so they wanted to carry on drinking, and I knew that if I, if I had another drink, it was going to impact my productivity the following day. But because we ended up at Lioness, they have an amazing non-alcoholic cocktail menu. So I just chose a drink from there. It was a, It's going to sound really weird, but a, a sweet potato pina colada. 
I, I don't think that sounds, you know, if we're talking London bars in, in this day and age, a sweet potato pina colada sounds pretty conservative, I'd say. It was, it was yeah, it was absolutely my favourite vegetable of all. Um, One of the healthiest vegetables in the world. If you did nothing else for your health other than swap potatoes for sweet potatoes, as long as you're not permanently deep frying them, um, I you would could say, make significant gains, genuinely. I would say the healthiest vegetable. You know, if you look at the 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 Okinawans, who are the longest lived people on the planet, they get sixty nine percent of their calories from sweet potatoes. Wow! From the from the purple sweet potato, and yeah. they're delicious. They're so delicious. I I, Just, I had, we we did wedges here last night. Fantastic! I, I had a I had a roast sweet potato last night. Ah, there, there you go. We, nice I mean. We, we are we are all over it with with the sweet potatoes i mean you know i, th I think an, an alcoholic cocktail bar conversation involving sweet potato even five years ago might have been impossible yet now it seems like the most natural yeah. thing in the world okay there's actually a company that makes uh liqueurs from from a sweet potato distillate because hmm. you can make alcohol from any you can ferment any sugar-based liquid um so if you cook a sweet potato obviously we know how called sweet potatoes right there's a lot of a lot of natural sugars in there so you can um, ferment those natural sugars into an alcohol um, but we i forgot what we were talking about oh yeah so we we're talking well, about you, this, you were on your you were on your low and no cocktail with the um then we we took a we took a, a tangent down sweet potato avenue <laughs> um you know so i ordered a drink they had their cocktails i had a delicious cocktail and i felt included you know so it wasn't that Oh, you're having some delicious tasting cocktails that have been beautifully crafted with love and, and, and experience and skill by the bartender. And I've got a cup of green tea. Like, <laughs> I, I only laugh because I've been there. Well. Yeah, exactly. We, I think we, many of us, many of us have. Um, and it was that moment of inclusion. And that's when the penny really dropped. It's like, we can go out now. And whether we choose to to go out and have a sober night or to be to be completely sober or we choose to go out and have a drink we now have an option that we can moderate our drinking in a much more mature interesting and delicious way and i i think that's it's really valuable and the one that that then being a being a nutrition geek uh the the, the point that you hit on there mm -hmm. it now tastes good um, in food, we have a, an explosion. It's not new, but it, it's, it's growing fast uh, of what you would call ultra-processed foods. Um, oh, God. And they really split the difference between junk food and the rest. And uh, an ultra-processed food is, is defined by... And in fact, I've just done a podcast on this, so I'll, I'll link to that episode in there as well. But it, it's defined as effectively something that is made using ingredients you just don't find in a kitchen or in nature and ingredients that are made using processes that are industrial and not used in kitchens or in nature or in your normal cooking so you know we're talking ingredients that have been hydrolyzed extracted and you know messed with so much but what they end up becoming uh, a classic example would be gluten-free products um, certainly mm -hmm. Uh, some plant-based products fall into this this category 
anything that says it's low sugar, high protein, yet is as sweet as a triple chocolate fudge, double caramel birthday cake is going to be in this class. <laughs> These are things that have been stripped, the, the ingredients in have been beaten and stripped back to nothing. And then they are made hyper palatable, attractive, shelf stable by the addition of assorted, uh, normally artificial coloring, flavoring, sweetener, yeah. because there was nothing left in that product to start with. It was literally the food equivalent of chipboard. And now you've got to make it nice. Um, so in the world of low and no, particularly, and, and I'd like to look at alcohol as well, because I, mm -hmm. I think it's something that a lot of people are not necessarily aware of. With an alcoholic drink, there is no legal requirement to display the ingredients. So when the ingredients are displayed, it's almost never a full ingredient list. Um, and I think it's not that you shouldn't drink certain things. It's that you might want to be aware of what's in them to decide yep. whether you are drinking them at that moment or not. But to stick with the low and no and the flavor, because of what you're doing with the Calvados at Avalon, where you're very focused on it being you know, truly a clean and a natural product and your experience in the drinks industry. What is your take on the ingredients in low and no and, and you know, whether that's an alcohol free beer or the cocktails? Um, is there a risk that in some cases you're really getting Coca-Cola by another name? Um, definitely not Coca-Cola by another name. <laughs> Non-alcoholic beer. From what I've um, found out about it, it's actually pretty healthy because it's simply beer that's been de-alcoholized. So it's predominantly water. So it'll be like 95% pure water. Um, and that water will be RO'd. It's a reverse osmosis. So it's completely demineralized, completely pure, um, nothing at all in it. And then a fermented fermented barley with some hops um so it should in theory be a fairly natural a very natural product um there might be a few kind of stabilizers in there um when you move into the world of spirits it depends on how they're made whether they are kind of de-alcoholized so a, like a non-alcoholic gin will generally start life as a gin and then they will do the reverse of distillation and extract the alcohol from it. And what's left is, is the, the delicious flavor that you have. Or they will um, start from a process of adding, because sugar is a great flavor carrier. So the problem with flavor in non-alcoholic products is when you remove the alcohol, you're removing um, a solvent that, that transports flavor. Yeah, it's why alcoholic products have such a strong flavor and why things like gin, you know, if you put any sort of, of flavored botanical in a, in a bottle of, of high strength, or sorry, any sort of flavored, yeah, botanical in a bottle of high strength alcohol, it will very quickly strip the flavor from that product that you put in it. You know, if you, if anyone's listening, if you go and get a bottle of vodka and put a vanilla bean in it, within about 10 minutes, you'll have vanilla flavored vodka. Yeah, when you take the alcohol out, you don't have a tool to carry that flavor because water is not a very good solvent when it comes to, to carrying flavor. Um, so sometimes they will add sugar in to act as that kind of flavor carrier. So it's, it's why if you taste a bottle of seed lip, 
Uh, if you were to drink seed lip straight from the, the bottle or pour it into a glass and taste it without anything else, it doesn't taste great because it doesn't have anything to carry the flavor. But once you combine it with something that has um, something to carry the flavor, so like a sugar, so only combine it with a tonic, which has quite a lot of sugar in a tonic, <clears throat> then all of that flavor from the seed lip comes out. And you're like, oh, that's where it's been hiding. And it's actually really, really delicious. But on its own, it doesn't um, do that. Um, I think there's, there's more, more issues around or better choices to be made around mixers. Um, because tonic, for example, contains an enormous amount of sugar. And in some, 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 some cases, more sugar than, uh, than Coca-Cola. So like Coke or Cola is the, is the category. We won't call out any, any brand names. Um, because as our palates have changed over time and become much more sweeter, you know, quinine, which is the, one of the essential flavorings in tonic, is, is extremely bitter. So over time, the levels of sugar to, to account for our changing palates has increased. Um, but we're also starting to see companies look at alternatives to sugar, such as stevia um, with Avalen. We work with a company that uses honey um, as a sweetener. Um, but the, again, the problem is, as you alluded to at the start, there is no legal requirement for alcohol producers or non-alcoholic producers to put their ingredients on the bottle. Didn't realize the non-alcoholic ones were, were also under the same bracket. Yeah, as far as I know, um, I may be wrong there. Um, I've got one here. Hang on. Let me just check. Let me check. Hmm. Um, I, I, think, I think you're probably right because... Uh, oh, certainly... no, this one, this one, yeah. No, this one does actually. So this is uh, an aperitif rosso, so kind of a non-alcoholic equivalent to a, red, a sweet vermouth. Um, so it contains water, non-alcoholic fermented grape juice concentrate, Sugar, natural flavoring, caramel sugar syrup, coloring concentrate from carrots, uh, preservative, potassium sorbate, stabilizer, cellulose gum, E466, acid and citric acid. Interesting. So that is, uh, I, I would say, very likely a full ingredient list because you've got the key culprits on there of your flavoring, your preservative, potassium sorbate is... It's certainly all of those are legally approved additives, and that's not singling out any product. These are ubiquitous foodstuff additives, yep. and we, we see it so much through through the world of mainstream sports nutrition that they're just they are everywhere. They are the that's how you make a low sugar bar. Um, yeah. you, you use something like that, and that's why you know with, with the thirty three fuel stuff, we've never done that because the long term effect of consuming that stuff, it, it, whether it be gut health, mental health, they're linked to so many long-term negative outcomes that you want to reduce your exposure and and if people are taking their, their sport and their health seriously they're going to be using a lot of it i think a low alcohol product is a different kettle of fish because at that time you are you can read that label and be aware at the mm -hmm. same time well it doesn't mean you don't have to have the drink i'm very aware that a pint of beer will contain various things like potassium sorbate and maltodextrin in order to get the head to stay on the beer in order to maintain the clarity of the pint, whatever it may be. That doesn't stop me enjoying that drink, even though those are ingredients I will primarily go out of my way to avoid. And I, I'm probably on the extreme end of the spectrum there, but I'm not drinking 
even 10 pints a week. I, I, I'm, if I'm drinking one pint a week, that would be a lot. And I would rather enjoy my pint as it is with the alcohol than find a way around it. And similarly, that no, uh, a low or a no option, well, you may have chosen to enjoy a drink without having the alcohol because like your situation, you were, you're working the next day, but you want to stay yeah. out with your friends and, and enjoy the social moments. So it's all about the balance. But I think what is important is that people are able to go into this with their eyes open, making positive choices that yep. fit them. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why with Avalen, we chose to be completely natural. Um, so we're made with nothing but apples, water and time. So there is <laughs> and that, that's even time any... as in time as in the clock, not the herb. Yes, 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 yes. Um, that, because it's, it's um, aged for between two and three years in French oak barrels. Um, but our entire production process is completely natural. So the apples arrive at the distillery. They're washed, they're chopped, they're juiced. And then they're left to naturally ferment. So the wild yeasts that are either on the skins of the apples, um, because they're natural apples, they're not the apples that you would find in the supermarket, which have been covered in, in chemical pesticides. These are grow very traditional apples grown in Normandy. Um, you wouldn't eat them. They're kind of crab apples. They don't taste great, but they make great um, Calvados. So there's lots of kind of natural enzymes um, and the apple is a, was traditionally, before it became heavily kind of industrialized, was an extremely healthy fruit because it contains so many microbes and enzymes on the skin. It's where that, that old phrase, an apple a day, keeps the doctor away because um, it was so good for your, your gut biome and your gut health. Um, and then we just distilled it and then we put it in the bottle. There's no added sugar, no added caramel, no added preservatives because there's a it's distilled up to 70% ABV and then bottled at 40. That's a natural preservative. You know, we don't need to add anything because nothing can live in 40% um, alcohol. So just, just a, the, that process, you're, when, it, when your raw product, Avalen, is ready to go, if you were to drink it at that stage, 70% alcohol, but what then you, you dilute it to bring it, it, bring yep. it to 40 for bottling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then... There's a lot of greenwashing and a lot, not just greenwashing, but there's a lot of lies and a lot of bullshit in the drinks industry. It's not um, a lie. Food industry is the same. No. Yeah. So to, to not be a part of that, that problem, you know, and be a part of leading towards a solution, we became, as far as we know, the first company in the drinks, in the, at least in the spirits world, to publicly publish um, our labor, independent laboratory analysis and put it up on the blockchain. So we partnered with a company called Provenance, um, had a, a, an independent analysis of our liquid. So you can go in and see the, the complete chemical breakdown um, of the liquid and everything that's in it. <clears throat> and then we put it up on the blockchain for anyone to see. And we can't ch ever change that. You know, we, because of the, the way the blockchain ledger works, it is up there for eternity. But it, it's... Uh it's great to see the way you are pushing that change um, because I think it's needed and, and there is leadership needed there, but it's got to be for better products for people's mm -hmm. 
enjoyment, health and well-being and, and better products for the planet as well. And yep. that's, uh, you know, it was one of the key reasons for, for reconnecting here. I, I purchased a bottle of Avalin recently because, as I've said before, whereas I drink so much less than I ever did, it's fractional. Uh, when I drink, I like to enjoy it. So I'd like to drink mm -hmm. something good. Uh, I'd rather just have a glass of water than not if, it, if it's a, you know, it's going to be something I'm not that bothered about. And Avalen, actually, I mean, Calvados is not a drink I would ever have thought of, but it turns out that mixed with, <laughs> like, mixed with soda and ice or whatever, and I, I know the provenance of it, I know it's clear, it's been a great long, long summer drink of an evening. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, it's you. Yeah, Calvados is not not going to be the uh, the obvious choice for people. Fortunately, it's a very a very tired uh, and dusty old category, um, but the liquids are amazing. And who doesn't like apples? Right, you know, delicious, delicious, great flavor. Um, you know, and we wanted to create a product that people could drink, that was delicious, that brought them moments of joy and celebration with friends and family <clears throat> and also as we like to say doesn't give the planet a hangover um, so when we set out on our, our mission to create Avalenda we were very clear that we wanted to create the world's most planet positive spirits yeah and a, and, a, and build a company and a brand that gave back more than it took um, which is really important for us so we we, we were a fortunate position that we to start from scratch. You're seeing with um, sustainability now, a word which is, is generally being co-opted by everybody. But most companies are attempting to retrofit better environmental practice into an existing business. Whereas we started from scratch with the, the, the kind of the, the desire to create the, the most sustainable business we, we possibly could imagine um, in within our, our kind of realm and sphere of experience and, and, and knowledge. Um, so we did a lot of work, you know, a lot of background work before we launched into looking at raw materials, because I think that's really fundamental. Um, the, the drinks industry, the spirits industry is much worse in wine, you know, they're much more connected to nature and the, and the the land and the vineyards and the grapes and the terroir. In spirits, it's very much an industrial process where only people only really talk about what happens at the distillery. They know that agricultural, there's an agricultural side to the production of the spirits, but they don't really talk about it. You might see in a, in a brand video, like an art, like an arty shot of the camera going through a field of wheat and to them saying, we choose the finest wheat. Like, of course you do. You're not going to choose shit wheat, are you? <laughs> um, and then they, they quickly then move to everything that happens at the distillery. And they'll completely nerd out about the number of plates in the still and the, the fermentation times and, and what happens in the barrel. But for us, the, the biggest environmental impact happens at the agricultural side. You know, whether it, whether you're looking at carbon emissions, pesticide and fertilizer use, water consumption or biodiversity loss. Um, that has the biggest impact and your choice of raw material. Will define just how kind of environmentally sensitive your product is.
Um, so we looked at all of the main raw materials that are used to make alcohol. So cereal grains, which is like vodka, gins, all whiskeys. Um, we looked at sugarcane, which is rum, cachaças. Um, we looked at agaves. So if you like tequila, mezcal, for example, we looked at grapes for brandies. And we looked at apples. And apples were the hands down winner every time. Um, you know, they, they grow on trees which sequester carbon from, from the atmosphere and lock, the, lock that carbon away in their, their trunks, their branches, their root system. They sequester it back into the soil systems. They're not, you know, it's not an annual um, product, so you don't have to cut down the tree every year. You know, the tree will consistently give you apples for so kind of 50, 60 years, which means that you don't disturb the soil. So if you are kind of harvesting wheat some sort of grain every year or sugarcane, you're disturbing the soil, which is releasing CO2 into the atmosphere. Um, you know, and our soils are in a, in a terrible state um, around the world. So you kind of you're you're building great great soil. From a water point of view, um, there's no irrigation of the orchards allowed, so we're relying completely on natural rainfall, um, which is fantastic. As I mentioned before, pesticide and fertilizer use is almost non-existent because it's Still a very natural system and the orchards are very very traditional so we're not talking kind of chinese style orchard which is where most of our apples come so china is by far and away the china produces more apples than every other country in the world put together um, wow. and they're growing in very much an industrial yeah huge huge orchards um but the orchards of normandy where we get our apples from are if you if you close your eyes and then imagine a very traditional orchard like an english orchard that's what these orchards are like you know multiple different species of apples sometimes some pears in there as well a hedge around the outside and then grass in between the rows like a so you have three different um habitats within a single orchard which leads to great biodiversity because whereas a wheat field you know i've been to the the corn fields for example um in the us when i used to work for an american whiskey brand and I remember we drove to the middle of one and we stopped the truck and we got out and stood on the bed of the truck. And in every direction you can look, all you can see is corn. There's no other plant, on hand nothing. Some, that, that's something that people go, well, you know, that, that, that there's nature. Uh, on, on the other hand, when was nature ever that, that focused or single-minded, yeah. you know, left out of its own devices, nature is, that, that is a huge loss of diversity. It's a man-made version. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, mono, monoculture is one of the, the key drivers to our loss of biodiversity around the world. Um, you know, and in our lifetimes, we have lost, we have seen us lose about 60% of all biodiversity on Earth, just in, our, just in the time that we have been alive on Earth. And, you know, I, I live in, in the countryside in Cornwall, and I can see it with my own eyes. You know, if I go out now, there's a lot less life in the garden than when i was a kid you know i remember in autumn we had the lights on the outside of the house when the lights came on in the evening all of a sudden there'd be moths everywhere and now if i see a moth i get excited oh my god there's a moth i haven't seen one of those for for ages you know we used to have lots of hedgehogs the slugs and snails all over the garden you know, it was a huge the kind of the war between the gardener and the slugs and snails. And now you don't see many of them at all. 
um, you know, and frogs. We have we have a pond in the garden, and come breeding time, we have frogs everywhere. And you'd wake up, you know, in the evening, all you could hear was kind of frogs croaking. Now I think I've seen, since I've been back, I just every year I think I've seen one frog. Um, and I even went out this 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 spring to try and find some frog spawn, you know, to, to kind of maybe try and help replenish and revitalize our frog population. And I couldn't find any frog spawn anywhere. Every pond I went to, everywhere I everywhere I used to get frog spawn as a kid, there's nothing now. Just empty, empty water. Um, so it's, you know, biodiversity is, is super important. You know, we can't, we can't fix the climate crisis without also fixing the biodiversity crisis. They, they go hand in hand. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And um, I, I think and that, that's where yeah. it's, it's important that the message being retrofitted into bigger businesses where there is a, uh, you know, from a, it's anywhere between a mild to a significant degree of greenwashing is objectionable on many levels, but there is a positive in there, which I choose to take from it, which is people now are aware of this and are asking for it so much so that, okay, if people have to pretend they're doing it, that's not right but at least they're having to do that, which means ultimately from the ground up, businesses like yours are able to change things so that it becomes real. You know, slowly people yeah. will get to see the division between greenwash green and the real deal. And that will hopefully shift consumer behavior as well in, in food, in drink, in travel, in transport, in everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think people are becoming more cynical because they're being lied to on an increasing basis you know we talked about the news earlier you know that the news is full of lies our po politicians couldn't tell the truth if their life depended on it um and companies have been the same so now i think people are extremely cynical about what they're told um so you know companies companies that are being successful are going to have to be super transparent and you're seeing the companies that are successful are the ones who are really embracing transparency um at Avalon, we always use patagonia as our kind of yard sorry yardstick um and here's a company that just defines how to do business you know and uh, they're a they're a business idol say for, yeah. for a lot of people and and rightfully so i mean in terms of there are so many elements that, that we've, we've covered in here. In terms of, we see it so much with nutrition that there can be so much information out there that unless you want to spend your life sifting it, it becomes complicated to make mm -hmm. sensible choices and take those first steps in the right direction. And with, on the alcoholic side, whether it's going for an alcoholic drink or going for low or no, um, do you have any sort of, basic yardsticks that people can use to understand if their choices are moving in uh, a direction that is, you know, at least uh, healthy to one degree or another, i.e. if it is full of a load of additives and rubbish they don't want, at least they can check it or be aware before they drink it. Mm -hmm. And also to, to understand whether they're moving in a in a planet positive direction with those choices. I mean, I'm sure these are things that you're able to sift quite easily yourself, but is there a way you would, you would break it down for people who are just looking to 
try and make easier, better informed choices in those areas? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I think there is this. I think the sustainability stuff might be a little bit easier. Um, because there are, you know, there are some certifications out there that you can look towards, such as B Corp, um, which I think is a, is a fantastic one, which can help you. Um, you might need to do a little bit of research, you know, and just see how transparent the company are about telling you um, what they're doing. Um, you know, are they willing to talk about their supply chains? Are they willing to talk about their production? Are they willing to publicly publish the information on their on their products? And I think increasingly a number of companies are, um, not just in the alcohol space, but also in the food space. Mm. Um, you know, Otali now put their, their climate um, emissions on their, it's not a bottle, what would you call it? A, a box? Carton. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's that's an increasing step. Um, when it comes to no and low with, and the kind of the health side of things, it's a little bit more difficult because it, it's still the Wild West, right? In the no and low ABV world, because it's such a new category. Everyone is still figuring figuring shit out. They're figuring out how to make this stuff. They're figuring out how to to market this stuff. They're figuring out how to kind of certify this stuff and what the legal requirements for it are. So it's going to take some time before it begins to settle down and you start to see some, some consistency. Um, but I would say that... So non-alcoholic spirits are going to be, have less sugar in them. So things like, you know, we talked about seed lip earlier. If you move looking at non-alcoholic liqueurs, you are going to have kind of an increase in the amount of sugar. Um, you're also starting to see a number of, I always say this word wrong, adaptogenic. Yeah, that is correct. Um, okay. Um, non-alcoholic products coming out. Um, so there's a really great beer, like a mushroom beer. Um, which I really, really love. So they do a, a kind of a lion's mane beer and a chaga beer, um, which is A, delicious, and, and B, um, I'm a huge fan of mushrooms. Uh, and then there's also some spirit, you know, uh, a spirit coming out, or it's, sorry, it's already on the market, that also claims to be kind of adaptogenic and using, using its ingredients beyond just flavor using them also for their kind of health benefits more like an elixir than a so the i mean on, on the adaptogenic side uh, that's adaptogens are simply natural ingredients mushrooms are a great source of many of them depending on the type of mushroom for, for anyone who hasn't come across them which allow the body to adapt to changing stresses uh whether that be stresses of environment stresses of lifestyle it, it's not like there's any one adaptogen mm -hmm. that is a silver bullet for everything but they are incredibly powerful natural compounds. Uh, as you mentioned, the chaga mushroom, lion's mane mushroom, great sources of reishi mushroom, uh, actually recognized officially as a cancer treatment in Japan. Um, very, very powerful things. And I hadn't actually realized that these were starting to filter into low yeah. and no, but given the way they're filtering into food, health and performance more generally, then that same market should be very open to those ideas. I mean, mushroom beer yeah. 10 years ago, I don't think anyone would have gone for it. No, and I still think there's a lot of people out there who are like think it will taste like mushrooms. 
And you're like, no, it tastes like beer. <laughs> it's like, you know, um, yeah, it's, a, but it, it's delicious. And I think you're right. I think we're going to see more and more of that because once you've removed the alcohol, you can open it up to being far more interesting products when it comes to the benefit. So the, the ingredients you put in are not just about the flavor because you can carry across some of those other kind of nutrients and elements of them. There's, there's, there's quite an explosion opening there. I mean, it, it, do you think there's a, as a guide, is there a simple logical thing whereby if a product simply looks several stages removed from anything that logically works naturally, i.e. salted caramel beer or something like that, or salted caramel oh, or whatever, you know, quite clearly. Making a, yeah, quite making clearly, a salted caramel cider. I I, I'm, I'm sure it's coming, stop. but... You know, if logically in your mind, the only way to create that is in some sort of a laboratory using flavorings and other things, then by all means, if you like it, go for it. But uh, know what you're drinking. It's it's yeah. almost certain to be chock full of artificial stuff to get it to go there, similar to the syrups for a, a, yeah. a coffee a coffee bar or, or anything else. Um, yeah, but there, there's a there's a very that or, or garish color. Like if it's bright blue, yeah. probably not. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's a golden rule about coffee, though. That what's that? That, that nothing had that syrups have no place in coffee. I I, I, I couldn't. Or, agree. Neither does sugar. Well, I think if you want an ice cream, go and get an ice cream. But if you want yeah. a coffee, just have a coffee. Yeah, don't put your ice cream in your coffee. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, oh, yeah, I was going to say, um, I think, right, I think one of the things that helps guide me through through nutrition and and because it, as you, you know, as you said, it can get extremely complicated and extremely nerdy. And I really love the work of Michael Pollan. Who really breaks it down simply. So and you know, some of the the little quotes that he just gives gives out, which I think can be extremely useful to people who maybe don't are not as interested in nutrition as you and i yeah things like if your grandmother wouldn't recognize it as food don't eat it you know and and uh if it's made in a plant don't eat it if it comes from a plant eat it and you know and simple things like that you know eat good food not too much mostly plants now that is a that is and I'm not going to use the D word, but that is an eating lifestyle that you can follow for the rest of your life. That's eat this. That's all the eating advice you really need in life, right? A lot of it is you're you're absolutely right at the core. That's very simple, and you, you're right. Those those more general but well honed markers are brilliant rules of thumb. You know, something that's from a plant, yes, made in a plant, no. Um, and it's not to say there isn't a place for that stuff if you enjoy it, but just be aware of, you know, which way it's taking you in terms of your long-term health and performance. And exactly. if you want to keep moving in that direction of health, performance, vitality, and, you know, stacking the deck in your favor for a, a long and enjoyable life, then I think you couldn't do much better than that. What was it? What would remind me of the Michael Pollan quote, the last one about, uh, um, uh, so eat, eat good food, food, not too much mostly plants and you know I mean, it's not it's it's it doesn't 
put you into a box. It doesn't say what you can't eat. It doesn't say you can. It doesn't mean that you can't go out and have the occasional kind of chocolate bar or some ice cream. You know, you can't occasionally go out and get have a blitz on some some alcohol. It's just a generalization. Like, just make sure that most of your eating is like this. You know, it doesn't say right. You're going to be a, a hardcore vegan fruitarian, and you can never ever for the rest of your life have a steak or have ice cream or have any sugar and you've got to limit yourself to this very narrow box of it's, it's like no just make sure that most of your food is good food it's natural don't eat don't be a glutton and just enjoy it and i think it's it's very similar for alcohol you know with, with the caveat yeah. previously that of course if you ask yourself the question do i have a healthy relationship with alcohol and your your immediate answer is either not sure or no internally then that's a separate thing but if you're comfortable with your relationship with it it can have a place in a healthy lifestyle it's never going really? to be a performance enhancer but it can help in a lot of other areas of life um and particularly the explosion of low and no alcohol stuff i mean by all means drink soda water if you fancy but there's plenty more options around there now to enable us to keep enjoying life enjoying training and, and it really feels like that, that for our generation certainly compared to our parents generation and others that there's so much more awareness of this and, and yeah. our ability to enjoy life constructively uh enjoy what we do work to help the planet but you know work to uh, i've done it's a phrase i used earlier stack the deck in your favor it's not that you're like see with you know lifestyle diseases something terrible you might get hit by a bus tomorrow whatever it may be you yeah. can't legislate for that but you can give yourself the best possible opportunity and it feels like we have a, a much greater opportunity that than previous generations have yeah absolutely think so and i think if we can just add on top of that uh an increase in care for our planet then we really do stack the the deck in our favor because our our individual health is fundamentally linked to the health of our planet and at the moment have our one planet without the is, other exactly and our planet is be beginning to get sick but we have an opportunity and i always say this there's a lot of negative you know you see a lot of um stuff around sustainability and, and the climate crisis and 99.9 percent .9 focuses on an this apocalyptic future that we, we need to avoid mm. You know, it's that that whole, as we said earlier, that the fear sells. Yeah, I see it as an opportunity. Like we are on the cusp of an opportunity to build the most beautiful, sustainable future for the rest of the rest of our time on this planet. You know, we have all of the technology available to us now to build a human civilization that lives in perfect harmony. With nature and allows nature to flourish while we also flourish as a civilization and why wouldn't we want to go and do that why wouldn't we want to go and take and build almost utopia you know if you look at if you're into marvel films and you watch black panther you know the, the mythical country of wakanda which is super high tech and yet lives in complete harmony with nature and the wild kind of mountain tribes that's the future that we can achieve where we have this wonderful technology that makes our lives super comfortable, super fun, super enjoyable, yet at the same time, embracing nature and all the wonder that it, that it provides and gives. Because the, I think you really hit the nail on the head there. There is no point in us 
looking after ourselves, making our, our lives more productive, more fulfilling, uh, our relationships. We are working on all of those things to to in, to enjoy lives more and and live a longer, longer, more more fulfilled life. If we don't have the planet to do that with, yeah. and and not just for us, but for future generations as well. Uh, and you know, certainly exactly. with thirty three fuel, it, it it's completely these things have to be hand in hand and uh, i think it sounds like you have the same thing i feel very privileged to be able to be building something from scratch on a template that goes in that direction rather than having to retrofit it into something that really probably doesn't fit yeah yeah exactly exactly it's it's about putting people and planet first if we don't focus on the profits we know that if we do a good job looking after people and planet the profit will come uh, absolutely and i think that's a a brilliant place to call call time on this one because there there are so many other avenues we could go down but i've just i've really enjoyed it and uh the, oh, the, only, the only thing if, if next time let's make sure we do this in the evening and uh, we'll, we'll have a drink while we do it that sounds like a much better idea all right warren <laughs> well lovely lovely to chat to you again you too tim thanks so much for coming on that's right it's a pleasure Well, give that man a great big hand, Mr. Tim Etherington, judge, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so now you should be well armed to make great drinks choices, make great planet choices, uh, and hopefully also work towards more positive mental health choices in there as well, alongside your training and enjoyment. So uh, don't forget to check out 33fuel.com for the finest, most delicious planet positive natural sports nutrition you will find anywhere. And for all of the resources that we mentioned and that Tim and I talked about during the show, you will find them in the show notes below. Uh, any questions, anything else, contact at 33fuel.com is the email address if you want to get in touch. And thank you for joining me on this show. Look forward to seeing you for another one soon.